3: podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at
0: radioteam at beyondzeroemissions.org. Good afternoon, um, my name is Erin Jones and you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show on 3CR, 855am or streaming at 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon everyone. Um, as usual we've got a jam-packed show so we won't delay and we'll get right into it. We're going to be talking um Briefly about the National Energy Guarantee, which we've um, been talking a bit about over the last couple of months and some of the deficiencies in that policy. Of course, there was the uh, COAG um, Energy Ministers meeting last Friday. So we're going to delve a little bit into that. But our main focus of today's show is going to be looking at some great work that's going on in Queensland and in Noosa particularly at the um, Zero Emissions Noosa Group, which is um, looking at how that community can transition to 100% um renewables and um, cutting their emissions so we've uh, got most of the show focused on that but we'll also be revisiting what's going on here locally in victoria with an update from the save western Port organization and uh, the threats that are facing that area with agl and big gas uh, operation they're trying to get off the ground there so we won't delay, and we'll get on with the show. And we'll start off with looking at the um, what happened last week in the uh, in relation to the neg negotiations. Listeners, as you well know, we've spent a lot of time um, over recent weeks talking about. The National Energy Guarantee, and last Friday was the major meeting in Sydney of um, the state and federal ministers involved in uh, what was going to be happening with that policy, which... um had a lot of issues. So I'm pleased that we've got Nikki Ison on the line. Nikki is a co-founder of Community Power Agency and we did speak with Nikki um quite a ways back around some of the potential issues around the national energy guarantee. So we wanted to touch base again and um just uh, kind of flesh out the outcomes from that meeting on Friday, uh, and Nikki also has a piece in today's Sydney Morning Herald looking at some of those issues. So, we'll um, have a bit of a chat about that. So, welcome, Nikki. Hi,
2: nice to be with you, Anne.
0: So, for some of our listeners that might have been um, under a rock, just give us a bit of an outline of uh, what was proposed under this this policy and and where it's standing today.
2: So, basically. Uh, Last November, uh, Frydenberg pulled a rabbit out of the hat and proposed this thing called the National Energy Guarantee. Uh, It's three things. It's uh, two amendments the National Electricity Law, which is actually state-based legislation. Um, uh, one is around some amendments on energy reliability. The second is a mechanism to drive emissions reduction. And then the third piece of the National Energy Guarantee is, is federal legislation that would legislate the targets, the emissions reduction targets, that that mechanism would drive.
0: Mm. And I think, I suppose, the first one... Um we talked quite a bit a while ago with um, the, with Greg Bourne from the Climate Council. The reliability is really a bit of a furphy because the system doesn't have a reliability issue.
2: Absolutely, it's a, a, absolutely a first thing. Um The amendments they're making are some additional powers to the Australian Energy Market Operator AMO. Um I don't have particular problems with it, but you know whether they need to be legislated or they could just be amended through a rule, you know, it's really neither here nor there. It's the whole purpose of this policy is to get ten climate-sceptic backbenchers of the coalition party room on board with something that might look like climate and energy policy.
0: Mm. Yes, but the big question is, is, is doing this better than doing nothing? can In, in its current or, or pre-existing form on Friday, it was really better to do nothing.
2: Absolutely. And so what we saw, um, thankfully, on Friday was three state governments, Stand up and say, at the moment, as the NEG stands, we cannot back this. The the mechanisms combined with the 26% uh, reduction target will do nothing to... Drive in more renewables. We'll do nothing to to lower emissions, and we'll do nothing actually to lower power bills. So you know all of those arguments that we're seeing um, touted in the mainstream media are really you know <laughs> wrong. And so it was really great to see states stand up um, for for action on climate and renewables and say you know they wanted to see certain amendments, particularly to the federal legislation, um, that means that at least in the future the target could easily be. In Increased and that there weren't um, that we wouldn't be locked into a decade of um, no action on climate change so um, yeah, that was great to see and really it's a testament to people power um, I think there's something like 75,000 actions that people have taken in the last three months to try and get state governments to make a stand on this. Um, they didn't want to, um, but people shower, um, you know, push their buttons and and made them, you know, do the right thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know, this policy, what well, we need is certainty, and we know that there's investment there to be, to um, certainly an investment appetite. Um, but this wasn't going to help it at all uh, so it was good to see that. So so going forward then, as you said earlier, I mean really this this um, policy was put forward to try to appease those that, whether they ever will be appeased in the, the coalition backbench um, it was so, kind of a yeah, <laughs> climate so, policy by any other name. Yeah, so what we see
2: tomorrow, Tuesday um, the the NEG will go back to the Coalition Party Room. Uh, they're proposing an additional policy, which is about underwriting, uh, underwriting, governments underwriting new generation capacity as well. This is based on a um, on a proposal by the ACCC. Um, the proposal itself is quite a good... Could be quite a good proposal, um, but it's being used and touted as a way for government to, to fund a new coal-fired power station, which would be ridiculous mm-hmm. and stupid. Um, so, we will see what comes out of um, tomorrow with the neck and this additional policy around underwriting new generation tomorrow, and then probably we'll end up with a standoff between state governments and, um, and the coalition just because, quite literally. this fight around climate and energy is about whether we want to see as a country action on climate change and action to drive more renewables into our system and other forms of clean energy like storage and energy efficiency or whether we want to go back to the 1950s And that's really the fight that we're having at the moment. And, um, you know, organisations like mine, like Beyond Zero Emissions, are all working towards that, um, you know, future vision, um, that that, uh, vision where we don't have catastrophic climate change, where Australia is a leader, not a laggard. Uh, And what has been really heartening to see is so many um, environment and climate organisations come together and work proactively on the make campaign around this.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, look, thanks for the update, Nikki. Um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there is an opinion piece in the Sydney Morning Herald which Nikki has um, authored, so I'd encourage listeners to have a look at that as well and, and a bit more detail on some of the motivations and potential outcomes of the NEG and its, uh, Proposed format, so go and have a look at that, and yeah, we'll kind of watch this space, so we'll see what comes out of that meeting on Tuesday. But thanks for your time, Nikki, and um, we'll talk again soon.
2: Talk
4: soon. Thanks, Erin. Bye. Bye. Cyclone is pretty grim. Shocking. Do you ever feel like just switching off? Well, don't. Switch on to Beyond Zero Emissions Community Radio Show every Monday at 5 p.m. on 3CR. Be beat the doom and gloom to find out the latest actions and research in your community. VZE Radio at 5pm on Monday. Turn the tide, literally.
0: Listeners, you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show on 3CR and I'm very happy that today we're continuing in a vein that I've certainly um, been really interested to pursue as actions that are happening at a local community level and local government level. And we've we've talked um, with lots of different people around the country about what's happening and we're going to continue with um, that discussion today. So I'm pleased to say that I've got Vivian Griffin on the line. Vivian is the president of Zero Emissions Noosa. Um, and for anyone on the uh, Sunshine Coast, Vivian's been... Uh, Heavily involved in a lot of environmental issues over the years, and has also been a councillor for a number of years. So, really knows how that local government and, and local community space works. So, we're really pleased to have her on the line. Welcome, Vivian.
1: Hi, Erin, Good to be with you.
0: So, we're going to focus primarily today on what's happening around um, emissions in the uh, Noosa area, with your position primarily with zero emissions Noosa. So. Can you start out by just giving our listeners a description of, um for those, we're obviously broadcasting out of Victoria and out, out of Melbourne, but um, lots of people podcast the show all around the country and, and listen online. But just describe to our listeners where you are um, geographically and then we'll talk a little bit about the history of how, how Zero Emissions Noosa came to be.
1: Yeah, well, we're probably about uh, I think about one hundred and fifty k north of Brisbane on the east coast of Queensland. Um, Noosa is both a coastal and hinterland community. Um, It is a community of communities. So we have little uh, hinterland uh, village towns as well as coastal villages. Population round about 56,000 people. Um, Tourism time swells to a lot more than that.
0: Yeah, great. Okay. And so... Let's just go back a little bit and look at um, how this process has started um, and what is the actual objective, I suppose, is a good thing to put up front for Zero Emissions, news. I mean, the name kind of gives it away, yeah. but just spell that out for yeah. us.
1: Yeah, well, it really started about two years ago um, and it was very much prompted by Beyond Zero Emissions. Uh, the then CEO, Stephen Bygraves, came to Noosa was making a presentation to the council about the role that it could play and also made a presentation to the community. The council at that stage, um, and still does, has a, a mayor, Mayor Tony Wellington, who's very committed to this process. Um, they, The council will focus uh, currently on reducing their own emissions and are doing great things in that space. Uh, we grew out of a recognition that at the same time we needed to be looking at the community emissions and so formed a group that said, we will set the goal of zero emissions, NUSA by 2026, which at that stage was 10 years beyond the 2016 when we started.
0: Okay, great. And so is there particular sectors that the group is focusing on?
1: There really are. Uh, they're the ones that uh, potentially we can have some influence on. So the two main sectors, uh, the obvious one is electricity consumption, and that's consumption by uh, residents and uh, businesses, and also um, uh, carbon emissions from transport. So electricity in terms of the community emissions makes up about 70%. Uh, transport emissions, excluding tourism-related uh, vehicle emissions, are around about 30% of our emissions.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And so those targets then that you're looking to get to on in both those sectors by 2026? Yeah. Okay, great. And so so this group has now become an incorporated body.
1: We have. Yes, we we took a decision probably about 12 months ago that um, we had before been an alliance of a number of the community groups throughout NUSA who have supported us on the journey since the beginning, but we did take the decision that we needed to have a dedicated organisation with a clear uh, persona so that people were very clear about who we were, what we were trying to achieve, particularly as we began the communication process and engagement process with our community.
0: Okay, so, so theoretically those groups that were involved and, and some key drivers, but you now, as I understand, have just completed a, um, a series of community consultations. So tell me about what it was you were going out to the community with and, and what was what's kind of been the, the end um, pr- product of that.
1: We've been uh, consulting on what we call the roadmap to 100% renewable electricity. Uh, We were fortunate to receive a a grant from the Noosa Biosphere Reserve Foundation. That grant enabled us to commission research by Dr. Rob Passy from ITP Renewables. Um, The consultations have been uh, in terms of First, let us understand our pattern of current consumption. Let us understand um, what of that is made up of renewable energy. And then let us look at where we're going to be in 2026. And if we're aiming for 100% uh, renewable electricity, then how are we going to get there? And what sectors do we need to engage with? So whether that residents, whether it's um, small to medium enterprises, whether it's uh, large corporation businesses. Tourism is obviously an important segment. So the consultation, and um, we concluded that consultation last Saturday, was really to say, okay, which of the sectors we need to engage with and then um, a lot of the research that Rob Passy brought to the process was what are the tools available to us to, uh, to engage with those um, sectors. So he was able to bring his um, very considerable knowledge about what's happening right across Australia. And so whether we were talking about solar bulk buys, whether we were talking about multi-site feasibility study, whether we were looking at um, solar savers initiatives by councils in other states, um we were able to bring the local knowledge and then that um, national uh, perspective to the to the workshop to set our roadmap for the future.
0: Right, okay. And so were they, were they well attended? What, what's, the, what's the feedback that you're getting? I mean, what's the appetite?
1: Uh, it was it was a very exciting um, uh, event to, to be at. Uh, we, you know, like all workshops, you, you break into smaller groups and, and workshop particular segments. So people put their hand up to say, uh, yes, I'm interested in working with the tourism sector on its emissions, or I'm interested in working with large consumers such as our large shopping centres or a bunning store. Um, I was convened a workshop for uh, with the social justice implications of uh, the emerging social divide. Uh, we have a very active community in a little rural um, hinterland township called Karan. So Karan are wanting to be coal and, and gas uh, free, and that they, they are just a, a very powerful and um, empowered group to achieve that.
0: Right. And so, I'm just looking at some of the slides from that workshop, and um, we've got things about, the, you know, embedded networks, solar for school. So basically, there's kind of been these all these different areas that you've, you've put up, and then people are kind of saying, "That's that's where my passion is," or "That's where I have connections, or experience, or, or whatever it may be." And so then, going forward, it'll be. More on working within these these um, kind of target areas that you've got, that you've just been speaking about.
1: That's exactly it, Erin. And, and you know we're we're a volunteer group. Um, as I keep saying, we have no money. Um, so to be able to uh, achieve our goals, we have to look for the funds for um, project um, management and delivery. So in in terms of achieving that zero emissions by 2026, uh, it really is a mix of saying, okay, we have the Quran Earth Rights community. They want, their, they're passionate about their goal. Um, let's absolutely work with that passion. But at the same time, we need to also say, but hang on, um, the business community um, consumes Forty percent of the electricity consumption in Musa, but has only about four percent of um, solar PV on its roofs. We mustn't let 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 sight of um, or lose sight of that sector. Although it may be harder to to actually break through some of the barriers that that may exist there, but we think they're not insurmountable. Um solar has a magnificent story to tell in terms of mm. both the economic bottom line and the environmental bottom line. So it is a, a matter of get, collecting those success stories, getting them out into the community, assisting um, the community to... Uh, think about what what are the finances I need? How do I know about which solar installer to trust? Um, you know all those those existing barriers that, as I say, they're not insurmountable, and it's our job to break them down.
0: Yeah, and I certainly would agree with that, and particularly, I mean, you know, we we try to um, highlight on this show people that are taking the lead and organisations that are taking the lead. And what, what is coming out more and more is that across a whole range of things, the economics makes sense. This is not oh, an yeah. argument that you have to be saying, you're going to be doing this and losing money. I mean, yeah, I did a show yeah. last week where we looked at electric vehicles, which is something I've looked at a bit, but particularly last week we were looking at trucks and commercial vans and, and, uh-huh. you know, large uh-huh. fleet type operators. Yeah. Um, and basically, you know, if, if a fleet is, is, proposing that they'll have a vehicle longer than four years then it it makes sense when you look at total cost of ownership to go electric and that's today and this is an operator that's um, got a head office down in um, Victoria here but is actually you know producing these vehicles here in Australia and it makes sense. So I think, you know, it's kind of getting into the right ears in those commercial operations and and going through the figures because we know they make sense. And, and um, when you engage a lot with um, community organisations around um, community energy, uh, those business models, you know, people have actually... Making money out of doing that um, it 's a win for the for the um, commercial premises and uh, it can be a win if you know there, there's some models where people have sort of been the investors helping that commercial operator get the pv on their roof with say a 10 year payback period and then it reverts to the building owner's ownership um, so those discussions even though you know they take time and people have got to do them uh, i think in, it's getting easier and easier to have those conversations so it'll it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that so there's a fair bit of work there that um, as you say you're a community you're a volunteer organisation but to kind of keep that ball rolling um you have a fairly strong relationship with the council, and, and the council, I know, has got their own organisational strategy to work towards zero emissions. How's the kind of overlay there? And, and what I know that, um, as you mentioned, the mayor is very um, supportive of this, but how does that relationship between the two organisations work?
1: It's working very well, Erin. Um, as you know, as I said, the the mayor really uh, let... He was elected in when was it? 2016. Um, it was an election commitment of his for um, a zero emissions focus for the council. Um, we have worked closely with them um, in this journey. We were fortunate, for example, to get. Um, a, a grant to run an electric vehicle expo um, earlier this year. Uh, we were also fortunate to get an economic development grant uh, to pursue this issue of um, getting more solar onto the roofs of business. So um, the Mayor opened the three. Excuse me, just one sec. <coughs> The Mayor opened the workshops that we had in, in May. Uh, both the Deputy Mayor and the CEO attended last Saturday. Um, and and these these guys have busy schedules, so we really appreciate that degree of, of interest. And uh, we presented the findings from the Roadmap to a special workshop of um, councillors and senior officers last week. So we're making sure that, uh, they are on the journey with us. They've certainly said that um, once we get the council sorted out, uh, we obviously have to be um, supporting the community and its aspirations as well. And NUSA Council has signed up to the Climate Council's um, City Power Partnership Program as well.
0: Mm, great. Yeah, no, I've um, gone through their documents and it certainly seems like they're... Um, you know, well underway in, in planning that. Um, obviously, you're aware of what the Sunshine Coast Council just down the road have done with the solar farm, which yes. is proving to be even more successful than their modelling. Yes. Is that something that's on the table at Noosa? One of the things that the um,
1: roadmap was intended to show. And, and indeed has, was the extent to which we can deliver that goal of 100% renewable energy just through um, focusing on solar PV for residents and businesses, and then to indicate if there is a deficit that we need to to look at uh, larger scale, utility scale, uh, electricity production. It's certainly showing uh, that potentially there will be that deficit. Now, we think that it's unlikely that there's suitable land within the Noosa Shire to deliver on that, Uh, but we are in um, close collaboration with a projected solar farm just to the north called Solar Q, uh, which is projecting 350 megawatts of solar production, so... There certainly is that uh, potential. It's not pretty sizable. It certainly is. Mm. Well, the Sunshine Coast one, 15. you know, in order of magnitude is fifteen, mm. and SolarQ is talking three hundred and fifty megawatts.
0: Mm. Yeah, wow, that's huge. Um, mm. Which is great. Which is what we need. Um, Absolutely. And these things, yep. you know, as I say, you know, they keep stacking up and they keep getting cheaper. And it's, it's, as I said, we did a feature, a whole show on um, the Sunshine Coast farms of twelve odd months ago, which which I will revisit shortly. But it's so great to see that um, because, you know, you can do all the projections and obviously, you know, there was a really thorough business case with that. But, you know, it's great to see the proof in the pudding kind of thing now that we're, you know, 12 months down the track and it's actually outperforming those estimates, which is always, you know, a a great um, encouragement and, and, you know, for other communities to see that.
1: Mm. Well, Um, I was on the Sunshine Coast Council when we initially approved approved that... um, development on what was old um, Caneland land out on Yandina Road. So mm. uh, for me, uh, and I know the officers um, who are involved in that, I have enormous respect for them and um, uh, it's it's just great to see it being um, a complete and utter indication and demonstration of what can be achieved.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's important for... Um, other large organisations, and and we discussed this in the show that I did, and and much like you just said with your example with Solar Q, uh, these things don't necessarily have to be within your jurisdiction because the fact is the the energy that's been generated out of that plant is not going directly to the council library and the swimming pool and this goes into the system and it's a, you know, it's a, um, whatever you put in, you you kind of of take out sort of thing. It it doesn't mean that the same power... um, it's just because it's offsetting 100% of their energy, it's not the power necessarily directly from that solar farm. Um, it goes into the network. Uh, so I think that's something as well when, you know, whether it's another uh, local government organisation or a big manufacturer or whatever it is, we're seeing more and more of those now look to, um, you know, putting in these systems um wherever they may be and or power purchase agreements or whatever it may be. And um, certainly that's happening down here in Victoria with the renewable energy for the train systems. That's a major regional uh project that's happening yeah. you know, not in Melbourne City obviously, um, but creating employment in regions which is which is a really important thing.
1: Yeah, and um, in, in many ways, Victoria um, is leading the way, and I have uh, enormous respect for Lily D'Ambrosio um, and the work that she is doing as uh, Minister for Energy Matters down there. And, and you're seeing more, a lot more interesting ways of um, tackling both the technical side and the financial side. So one of the ones that we've been looking at is at the, um, the Lismore, Sewage treatment works, mm-hmm. where they're installing a floating um, solar farm, um, and, and interestingly, that gives you uh, greater energy efficiency from from being on water, and that's through a financing model in partnership with the community. So, um, you know, sometimes people think that our aspiration for 2026 is just that, an aspiration. I firmly believe that the the change that we're seeing is exponential, not only in the electricity production, but as you say, electric vehicles um, are the sleeper in all this, but Mm -hmm. I think we are going to see the... Well, I know we're going to see more affordable models, and I think we're going to see a much greater um, take-up in the uh, late 2019s, early 2020s. Um, I think we might be surprised by the take-up.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's like so many of these things, the trend is the same. It it kind of goes along, and and it might be going up 100%, but it's off such a small base. And then, you know, you hit that critical mass, and it just almost goes vertical. Um, And and that's what we're going to see. And we're also, you know, that whole – I think the thing is when people get PV on their home, and then it kind of thinks – well, it's either, it either goes one way. They get an EV or they have solar on their home, mm-hmm. but it yep. kind of becomes this circular thing. And then they kind of have yep. this whole contained energy system of, of the house and the car and, and all these things. And, um, so I think that, that change is going to happen. And, oh, I agree with you. I think, A, we need to be aspirational in these, these timings that we put on things because the fact is we haven't got time, uh, yep. to, to, to go slowly on this. We need to push, um, but it's not necessarily that uh, that far-fetched, and and that was something that, and I I want to have a talk to um to the council in a, in a in a future show around these goals because what Sunshine Coast, and for people that may not know, um, just a bit of bit of history, um, Sunshine Coast used to be Noosa. Maruchi and Caloundra councils and then Council of happened and we had the Sunshine Coast which included all three which Vivian was mentioning that, that she was a representative on and then um, a few years ago Noosa um, separation became its own council again in its own right um, so but the fact that with the solar farm in the Sunshine Coast region the you know, they've achieved that 100% offset and that didn't take a decade. I mean, it may have taken quite a yeah. while in getting, getting um, you know, the, the policy drivers and, and getting to the point of actually being operational. Mm. But, but once they decided to make that big move, you know, they've achieved that um, yes. yeah. in, a, in a very short time. So councils, um, you know, looking at their organisational strategy here, 2016 to 2026, uh, and... That's not far fetched, you know. That can happen possibly quicker. Um, you know, there's a whole lot to go on behind that, but um, I think you know, there's models that have shown that it has happened. I suppose is my point. So
1: yes, and um, I mean, one of the things though that now people are becoming aware of, and I try and raise this frequently, is the, f- the fact that we're likely to see um, more and more people who can do it going to solar PV and batteries. Mm. That's going to have then leave a smaller and smaller group of mm. people who cannot move to solar PV. And that's the renters and also low income households. Mm. So in, in, you know, it's celebrating the change that we're seeing, the rapid change. We also have to recognise we've got to find ways to ensure that low-income households and, and renters are not left behind, that they come on the journey as well, that they're not left with huge electricity bills, which um, even will be even more difficult for them to meet.
0: Yeah, and and that's a whole you know a whole really important discussion then, because as you say, yeah. more and more people if they have the ability to, to kind of come out of that, that system, the fact yep. is that system still has fixed costs that got to be, that's that got to be covered. And, yep. um, yeah, a smaller and smaller pool to pay. I mean, you know, there's a whole big discussion there about how the whole um, energy generation and retail and um, system is administered and governed. Uh, but, no, I agree with you absolutely. And, and I think, you know, there are examples of ways to do that, um, Certainly some of the local governments down here in Victoria with sort of bulk buying schemes, um, co-ownership schemes and, and, and paying back where, um, when I was talking earlier about you know commercial manufacturers' rooftops and things like that where it's basically a win-win um, where an investor or an investor group or a community group finances that and, and their bills are no more than what they were but a portion of that is a capital repayment. I mean... You know, there's been similar schemes with, at a household level where, whether it's a, um, you know, a not-for-profit organisation or the local government, um, effectively loans that householder at a, you know, zero interest rate or something. But you're right, that's got to be thought of and it's got to be, you know, there's got to be things put in place for that. So, you mentioned that you chaired that, um, you know, equity and and justice kind of discussion. What kind of strategies are being proposed or being thought of at this stage for those more vulnerable households?
1: Well, we, we recognised, um, one, that um, we have... Uh, such a group in Noosa, we're not just a Silvertail community, we have over 4,000 um, households that would be said to be in housing stress, paying more than 30% of their income for either a mortgage or rental. So one, we know we've got a group that is likely to be um, struggling right now and and will be struggling in the future with Um, the electricity component of the household costs. So we there there are a a few tools at our disposal. Uh, One of the things we're looking at, certainly, is the Victorian model of um, solar savers that was started by Darabin Council, where the council essentially uh, provides a loan uh, that then gets paid off through the rates. So, um, and and that loan stays with the property, and and so the uh, property owner has some um, in, uh, support that the the investment they make uh, is it that they're not going to have to pay for it, and then um, someone else gets the benefit. So that requires legislative change in Queensland, as, okay. as happened in New South Wales and Victoria. So that is something that we can work in partnership with the council. Uh, it sh- to my mind, it shouldn't be a, a difficult process. So uh, we will, we will you know uh, stay on the case on that one. And does the
0: LGAQ have a position on that, or what's their... Look, I don't know. Um, we've we've
1: now raised this with Council. Uh, there is an officer on the Council who has worked in Victoria, is, is very familiar with the system. I think they're putting their mind to it, um, and we will certainly... Uh, we hope to have a meeting with the Minister for Energy later this year. Uh, that will be something that we will be raising and raising with our local member to pursue that. I, I can't see why anyone would have checked, because... You know, it's, it's no skin off the nose of the Queensland government. It's no skin off the nose of a council that doesn't want to pursue it because it will only facilitate councils that wish to go down that path. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that the Queensland government right now has interest-free loans for low-income households that currently don't have solar, um, I suspect, not everyone is very well aware of that program and, and so, of course, we will try and um, facilitate greater knowledge of that for those who might like to take it up. The renters are probably a more difficult proposition, um, but we do know that organisations such as Sun Tenants are working with um, Moreland, um, the Moreland Energy Group in Victoria So we'll be exploring some of those possibilities for the the rental market.
0: Great. Listeners, you're on the Beyond Zero Emissions show. I'm Erin Jones, and today we're talking with Vivian Griffin from Zero Emissions Noosa, who are on track and um, putting in a lot of work to take that community to zero emissions by 2026. Vivian there's a lot of communities, obviously, around the country that um, logically need to be doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the lessons learned, or in terms of the the process of, you know, we talked a little while ago about how the organisations become incorporated, but what are some of those lessons? If you were, you know, go back two years or whenever it was that kind of this this energy built up. Uh, what would you have done differently, or for for a group, you know, person that's listening to this that wants to get, you know, activated in their community, or wants to get their community activated to move towards this? What are some of those lessons?
1: Oh, um, well, I, I just think um, uh, one one thing I am very certain of um, that as as a nation, if we wait around for government to do stuff and uh, respond to the climate change challenge, uh, we'll be waiting a long time. Mm. So one thing I'm completely certain of is that it does need to be local communities taking ownership of that issue. Um, What we have done is uh, we don't talk about climate change. We don't engage Mm. in that process at all. I think it just diverts you from the main game. So we're uh, only focusing on emissions reductions. Um, You know, you don't have to beat people over the head about the environmental Mm. issues, although, you know, we all know they're incredibly serious. Um, But just focus on the emissions reductions and um, focus on the economics of that. Where you can,
0: I think, I think that's a really important point too. And that certainly is a position that Beyond Zero Emissions taken because you can have a discussion with someone, um, and there's a whole lot of health benefits, cost benefits, um, you know, general pollution benefits that make sense. And you don't even need to have a discussion about whether they, you know, quotation marks believe in climate change. It, it, it can just, you know, and like you say, we all know that we all know that it's an imminent threat, and action needs to be, you know, really ramped up to to emergency level. But that can kind of get you into a conversation that loops around and around, and you don't need to do that because you can just keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, you don't want to be diverted. Um, so you know, it, um, so yeah, that that's been a, a clear. Uh, strategy of ours from the beginning Mm. Um, if i see people in the papers going on about saying climate change is a load of rubbish you know i could sit down and write a lengthy letter Mm. Um, but all that will do is just he says she says he Mm. says Uh, it's it's not productive just get out of that space get into the emissions reduction space um and in terms of um, working with your community, just keep throwing the stone into the pond and spread the ripples, and pull into the the working group space the the people with the the passion, and they'll find their way to you um, if if you put out those opportunities. Um, put the throw that stone into the pond and let the the ripples go out. So it's
0: it's not a very
1: sophisticated
0: strategy. <laughs> I think an important point that you mentioned earlier was working with some of those existing groups. Yeah. Um you know, you've you've kind of yeah. used that, that energy and that organization that was already there to a point yeah. where your group could then become incorporated in its own right. Yeah. So I think that's probably an important part to kind of use those pre existing networks and, and energies of those different groups which have aligned values.
1: Yeah, that that initial alliance was with a, um, a mix of both business groups and community groups, environment groups and our two universities here. So uh, in its own right, it was a very powerful group. It included, you know, Tourism NUSA, NUSA Chamber of Commerce, Sunshine Coast University, Central Queensland University. All of them signed on to a memorandum of understanding saying that they would work to the best of their ability towards the goal of zero emissions NUSA. So that, that was an important Uh, Moment, Mm -hmm. We had a public launch. We had folks from the Queensland Department of Environment come up.
0: So in terms Uh, of time frame, when did that fall from kind of inception to to where you are now? When did that point, because I think that's a really significant kind of buy-in. Uh, yeah,
1: we kicked off in June 2016. Uh, we had the public launch in November of that year um, and and that's where we had the signing of the Memorandum of Understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and we incorporated probably about 12 months after that uh, we've now registered as a charity so that we can access grants that are sometimes only available to charities so there's, there's been this work behind the scenes all the boring bureaucratic stuff mm-hmm. um, but it positions us absolutely to be able to take advantage of any and every opportunity that comes along.
0: Yeah, and that, that's important and as you say, it's kind of the boring stuff, but it, it's what needs to happen because, you know, most of these organisations run on the smell of an oily rag and you want to be, have all the, um, the boxes ticked so that you can access those, those bits of money along the way to, to keep that momentum.
1: And, um, I, I really value the partnership that we have with Central Queensland University. Uh, one of their uh, academics, Dr. Karina Anderson um, has been very uh, committed to forging the partnership with us, committed to facilitating a research relationship between the, their academics and the goals that, that we are looking at. Uh, so we're really uh, we're positioning ourselves so that yes, if there's the uh, you know the smaller council grants or um, you know we look where we can for grants, but at the end of the day, also keeping our head above the parapet to look for the more serious funding that might enable some of the breakthrough initiatives, say in tourism or with our industrial estates. So, um, and and to do that, you need to have street cred. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, part of it has been enabling people to know who we are, to have confidence, confidence in us, to know through the roadmap that we are very uh, serious in documenting the the goals and, and why we and why and where we need to, to work. So all of that is also about the, the street cred, as I say.
0: Yeah, excellent. Well, it's been great to, to hear your progress and where you're up to and, and it sounds like there's, you know, some real momentum, which is fantastic. But I did really want to kind of draw out those though, that process because I think, you know, it's a big endeavour. Um, they're big goals and I think for organisations or, or people that might be listening and wanting to engage in that process, um, and, and look, there's lots of ways to go about it and different communities will go about it different ways. But I think it's mm-hmm. good to kind of get a little bit of a framework of how it's worked for you guys. Um, and I think that's important. And there's, you know, they're starting to be a building a body of different organisations that are trying to, you know, tackle these these big issues um, and just kind of... So new organisations or, or new communities can kind of look at different ways that, that um, other communities have gone about it and help them on their way. Yes, and and I think
1: it's probably easier for smaller communities such as ourselves. We aim to, we say to people, we want to be your your test crash dummy. Uh, If you want to try something out, um, come and try it with us. We'll work in collaboration with you.
0: Yeah, great. All right, well, that's excellent. We look forward to um, staying in touch, Vivian. We'd really like to hear how your progress is going and um, keep um, keeping up the good work and keeping on being able to share that with a a wider audience as well. So thank you very much for your time and um, we look forward to hearing about your progress.
1: Thanks very much, Erin, and and you keep up the great work of BZE as well.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Kim
4: Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe... The number is nine four one nine eight three double 7, seven.
1: You've been listening to the same. You
0: could never understand. Feel the fortune flowing. Listeners, I've got Louise Page on the line from Save Western Port. We spoke um, about uh, what's going on in Western Port a few weeks ago prior to the rally that they had down there at Hastings, but I think it's important that we keep in touch with what's going on with these uh, campaigns, especially the ones that are on our doorstep. So welcome, Louise, and can you give us a bit of an update on uh, what's happening? Sure, thanks, Erin.
4: Uh, yeah, quite a bit has happened recently, actually. We've had uh, another
0: round of consultations from AGL about the project. Uh, there was For our listeners that didn't catch the first one, maybe let's just outline um, what it is that the threat is um, happening in, in Western Port. Oh,
4: sorry, yeah. yeah. So we've got, uh, AGL are proposing to install a floating gas terminal at Crib Point in Western Port. It's uh, a huge 300 metre long ship and it's called a, an FSIU, which is a Floating Storage and Regasification Unit. It uh, it has uh, tankers come in, gas tankers, carrying LNG. LNG brings... Uh, the tankers bring the LNG in and unload it into the FSIU, and the FSIU regasifies the liquid, liquefied natural gas. And... AGLRO is also proposing to install a sixty kilometer long pipeline from Crip Point to Packenham so that they can actually pipe the gas to Packenham and join into the gas transmission there.
0: So this is a pretty significant sized um, proposal that we're talking about. Yeah, it certainly
4: is. The the three hundred meter long FSIU will be moored permanently at crib point so it's a 24 7 operation which means that's a that's a big impact not only just on the environment but also on the local residents because they're living alongside it 24 7. you'll have the noise you'll have the lights you'll have the gas tankers coming in it's at it's, it, it's night, nice. it, it's, it's going to be quite a big impact with the amount of lights. There's always the threat of an accident that's, that's always hanging out there. We know that you know, mitigations are put in place, but from history shows us that uh, when you're dealing with things like tankers uh, and pipelines especially, that um, you never can be too sure. So you don't put them in a Ramsar-listed wetland and biosphere.
0: Yeah, right. So I know that you're, um, you know, really building a momentum in the local community. Tell us where the campaign is currently and what some actions that are, that are coming up that, um, you know, people want to en- engage with your process.
4: Sure. It's at a fairly critical stage right now, actually. At the end of this month, AGL are actually putting their proposal to the government. So they're referring the project. And that means it's time for the planning minister, Richard Wynne, to make a decision on whether they actually have to undertake a full environmental effects statement or whether he's going to pass it just with the information that, that they've put in. So we're at a, a pretty critical time now. And with uh, uh, our own organisation, Save Western Port, along with Friends of the Earth and Environment Victoria and Victoria, Victorian National Parks Association have called on the government to, uh, well we're demanding really that a full EES is required because the environmental impacts and the impacts on the community, it's such a big project, to think that it might just go through with a tick is really alarming to a lot of us, so that's that's where it's at at the moment, and next Friday uh, sorry, actually this Friday will be at um, in Fitzroy. We're joining up with the Greens, who are actually taking a petition to Richard Wynne's office. So four o'clock on this Friday, that's, that's our next action actually. So they're going to take along their concerns to Richard Wynne's office and say that um, this proposal is of such magnitude, it definitely requires an environmental effects statement.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the, the minimum that it you know, should yeah. require. I mean, the fact is, um, you know, beyond zero emissions, um, all our work is showing that we need to transition as quickly as possible and putting in this type of major infrastructure for gas, which is a fossil fuel, and, and uh, the whole it's a transition fuel is, um, is pretty hollow. Um, I that. That's okay. Uh, so it's really important. So for our listeners that, you know, want to take action... What can they do? Is there still an opportunity to sign the petition? Is there a website they can go to? What, what sort of action can they take or be part of that, um, that handing over of that petition on Friday?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, our website is a good place to go and find all the, the necessary things, how to take action, and also Instagram, Twitter and our Facebook. So you'll find all that at savewesternport.org now in terms of joining us this friday we're actually meeting at um oh where are we Yeah, uh we're meeting at shop six 232 brunswick street fitzroy and then we'll be going to 296 brunswick street which is where richard Wynne's electorate office is so if you want to meet with us there that'd be terrific um and if they just go to our website, we'll have all that
0: information there. Okay, anyway, and so that's savewesternport.org. That's right. Okay, fantastic. Well, thanks for the update, Louise. We appreciate it, and um, we'll look forward to hearing the outcome of that. And really, you know, these massive projects can't just get a tick and keep going. We've got there's, there's got to be a, a thorough and rigorous process, and um, have every opportunity to uh, highlight the. Um, you know the potentially huge implications of these projects that's right yeah okay great to talk with you thanks for the update louise we'll talk soon thanks erin bye-bye bye-bye so, uh, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed the show today. We've um, covered a bit of ground um, from more localised issues to what communities are doing elsewhere in the country to move towards zero emissions. Um, there's a fair bit of activity still around in the um, news around the NEG. Uh, some pretty uh, discouraging um information coming out from people like the Minerals Council with uh taking a pretty strong position on wanting to encourage politicians to support it and um you know there's a fair bit of vested interest in that uh as la the um carbon tax uh, a while back so we need to look at uh, where these uh, where the motivations are coming from for things so there's always a backstory, So I just want to make a couple of announcements before it's time to wrap up. Uh, as you well know, we've spoken about previously, the Beyond Zero Emissions are hosting the Electrifying Industry Summit. That is on Thursday, the 13th of September. If you go to the Beyond Zero Emissions website, you'll see uh, links through to how to get tickets for that event. Um, It will be well attended, so make sure that you do book yourself a slot there so that we can um, look after the logistics. We'll also be doing a bit of a sneak preview of some of the information that's going to come out in the summit. And Michael Lord, who is BZE's Director of Research, will be the guest speaker at the regular BZE discussion group, which is on Monday, the 3rd of September and that's at the University of Melbourne. Get all the details off the website. Um, But be sure to get ahead of the curve and book your tickets to the Electrifying Industry Summit. So just go to the website bze.org.au for all the information on how to do that. I'm Erin Jones, and I've been um, glad to host the show today. Um, Vivian will be back on board for the next few weeks, but I will see you again later in September. So thanks for your company, and I look forward to seeing you then. Bye-bye. Beyond Zero
3: Emissions is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change action becomes an emergency, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero-emissions energy Zero Emissions Exports and Industry Zero Emissions Transport Zero Emissions Buildings and Zero Emissions Land Use Podcasts of our shows contain a who's who of community action and climate solutions. They're all available on the web at bze.org.au We'd love your ideas for this show so contact us at radioteam at bze.org. Or even write to us, care of Radio 3CR, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, Victoria. You can make that attention.